Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, good morning, officially, for me as well. Um, and uh, I see a few new faces here. We're glad you're here this morning. As Ben pointed out, I'm, I'm not the pastor. It's kind of uh, really interesting. Uh, we now have uh, Pastor uh, Ben Hailstone as well. So um, Pastor Appreciation Day is taking on a little bit of a, a greater role that we, uh, that we can participate in. But if you're visiting with us this morning, we're, we're glad you're here. We recognize there's many great churches in the area. You chose to be here this morning, and we're grateful for that. We believe that God had a plan when he... Uh, uh, made you walk through those doors. Maybe you were even dragged in here this morning. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, you're here and you got me this morning. So I'm an elder here at City Lights Church. I'm, I'm, and I literally am. Um, this is not just a title. I'm the oldest guy in the eldership team. Um, I, I never thought I would ever have to say that. Uh, uh, you know. And actually, I was talking to my sister a couple days ago. She's one year younger than me, and we were talking about people that are my age, and I thought, man, they're old. And then I realized, you know, that's us. <laughs> so it hasn't really caught up with me. My age has not caught up with me yet, uh, and hopefully it never will. But um, if, uh, if you've been here for a while, you know that we've been going to a series of explaining some of these weird Christian terminology uh, words that we use to describe certain aspects of our faith. And uh, last week it was sin. Jesse did a great job on explaining sin, and uh, then he left town, and he left me with the next one, which is idolatry. Great, huh? <laughs> this is what I got. I got idolatry. And... Um, um, you see the problem here, or not problem, but the situation that we have, Ben is a very graceful person. I'm actually not that way. Like, the whole idea of him presenting home groups, like, if you don't like it, see, that doesn't even end on my mind. If you don't like it, too bad. That's my stand. So, uh, uh, so I got idolatry. So uh, I think maybe you want to buckle your seatbelts. No, I'm just kidding. I've learned a lot. By the way, the anniversary of this church is coming up. Uh, 10-10-10 was the first service this church ever held. It wasn't even in this building. They were, I wasn't even here for that either. It was down at uh, Lackawanna Avenue. And uh, so next week, which Sunday be the 8th, that'll be almost exactly uh, seven years that this church started. And uh, so uh, it's pretty incredible. And Ben was part of that group that came here uh, to plant this church. And look where it went in seven years. So... Um, Pretty incredible stuff uh, uh, that has happened. Um, I had a really hard time with coming up with something to say about idolatry uh, for various reasons. Uh, like I said, my, my uh, personality would always be to just dig in. When things get tough, just dig in. I realize that not everybody, probably most people, don't respond to that type of mentality really well. Um, it, it's, uh, it's different. Maybe it's because I'm German. I actually was born in Germany. I was 21 years old when I came to the United States. And uh, uh, I have learned since. I've been here for uh, 30 years almost. So you can do the math. You figure out my age. But uh, the thing is, I've learned that, um, that Americans don't, do respond to situations much differently than, say, a German. And uh, I've been here 30 years, so I've observed the uh, whole uh, um, emotional makeup of America pretty well. So, um, uh, uh, but I think what happens is when you're away from your original way of how you were raised and you come into a different society, you kind of dig in. 
because you, you, you think that you always are really the right ways. It's a dangerous place to be. And believe it or not, Celebrate Recovery has helped me overcome some of those uh, hurts and hang-ups that I have. So uh, it's, it's really interesting. So idolatry. Uh, uh, you know, how, how do I talk about idolatry without being Mr. Judgment over here? See, that's the next situation. We all have different sets of gifts, right? God has equipped every one of you with a, with a unique gifting, set of giftings that, 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 that we're not employing. I never employed mine. I didn't even know what it was. Uh, I grew up, like I said, in, in Germany in a very uh, uh, um, religious-oriented uh, community. I was brought up Protestant simply because I was born into two Protestant families. Both my mom and my dad's families were Protestants. And uh, so I went to all these different classes as a kid. I had no idea what they were talking about. We had to memorize a lot of things. That's all I remember. And let me tell you, I cheated on the memorization I'm not proud of this, but I did. I mean, it was just ridiculous. I didn't even know why I had to memorize all this stuff. But nevertheless, you know, so I didn't even know I had gifts. I didn't even know there were gifts. And then I started uh, uh, going to church, and I came to Florida on, a, on an exchange program, a trade exchange program. I landed in Florida, got around a bunch of people, and they invited me to go to church. And I'm like, church? didn't even seem right to go to church in Florida. I don't know why. It just seemed weird to me. Sun and everything. Church was not part of my life at all. And I went and I liked it. I was scared to death, but I liked it uh, because it was different. People were actually outgoing. It wasn't like you were visiting the frozen chosen like it was back home in Germany. You know, nobody said anything. You whispered. You wouldn't dare go into a place and speak out loud. You whispered. They, you know, they weren't even expressing themselves. So anyways, I went there. And, um, and it was just such a different experience. So uh, the gifts, I learned that. In that church, they were really great in discipling people and just really figuring out what, what is your place in the kingdom. And wouldn't you know, I had the gift of teaching. Oh, I was like unbelievable. And I, I, I was really not a person that was outgoing. What you see here is really not who Martin would typically be. Maybe a little bit, but not entirely. This is like a learned thing. And uh, we're going to get to that a little bit more uh, later on. But, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. I had a gift of teaching. So there's dangers with all these gifts that we have, um, uh, including teaching, because sometimes they can puff us up and uh, talk about idolatry, right? So that's what we're going to go on with today. So uh, anyways, but the gift of teaching is, is something that is really, um, that, that, that is like what God has given me. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to always look at these things from that angle. So bear with me. I'm going to share a little story with you this morning just to kind of get us into the mode of idolatry. And um, uh, the story is, it's a true story. I'm, I'm not making this up. This really happened, and it's still ongoing to this day. So uh, go back with me in history a little bit. We're landing at around 1500s, right? By the way, Martin Luther, if you know anything, I know Charlie, he, uh, the, this is how Charlie was uh, born and raised, basically Catholic, went to a Catholic school, and I remember the first time we met, and I'm, I'm the Protestant guy, and I, I, I had no problem telling him that, and he's like, I probably won't remember your name. I said, let me help you out. I give you a little, a little help, how you will never forget my name, Martin Luther. And he's, he's called me Luther ever since. I said, no, it's Martin, not Luther. And uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, right, who came against the Catholic Church, happened 1521. 
When he went to a church, a little church history, and he didn't know you were getting church history. I'm a teacher. See, I got to teach you something here. So uh, he put like 99 theses, they called. They were basically 99 points that he didn't agree with and how the Catholic Church was doing church and how they interpreted the Bible. And he put them on a church door. This is kind of the way they did things then. No internet, no Facebook, no Twitter, none of this stuff. You went to a building and nailed the thing to the wall. Maybe this is why it doesn't face. I don't have a Facebook thing, so help me out. Isn't there a wall in Facebook? Right? Hey! It's not a real wall, but you see what I mean? That's what he did. He went to his Facebook, boom, nailed that thing on there. Man, that was bad. Because the Catholic Church did not agree with those 99 objections that he had. And they actually, uh, they were going to kill him. So uh, the guy really risked his life, literally. And a local duke took him in and put him up in a big tower to protect him from the, uh, from the Catholic uh, police department to uh, go arrest him and kill him. And uh, the rest is kind of history. But that's what 15th century, that's where we're landing, right? He had just put those things on the wall. Uh, Catholic Church was in a big uproar. And there's this little bitty town called Maulbronn. It's about 10 miles from where I was born. So it's pretty close to my heart, if you can tell. All right, it's a little bitty town. And there is this monastery in this little bitty town, right? And they're up on a hill. They got their big monastery. Do you know what German monks were doing? In those days, they were brewing beer. Wow, isn't that interesting? A lot of the German breweries started uh, in uh, monasteries. All right. Well, the, but there was this guy down in town, a butcher, who happened to separate from the Catholic Church and he became a Protestant. So he was like, you know, drawing the line. I'm done with the Catholic Church. I'm following this Martin Luther guy, and I'm no longer participating in your Catholic rituals. I still drink your beer, so probably is what he said. So uh, do you know what Catholics do around Lent, right? They go in this fast. You can't have any meat. And they were really kind of mean to this guy, particularly since he left the Catholic Church and he was now Protestant. So he was like always itching to find a way to get even with the Catholic monks up on the hill. So there was this, uh, this pig that had to be killed because he was sick, and it had to be killed, and it was right around Lent, like a couple of days before. So he butchered. It was an emergency butchering. He killed that pig, and he thought, ha, I'm going to get even with those Catholics. I'm going to donate the meat of that pig to the Catholic Church. Right at Lent. They can't eat meat, Right? This was before refrigeration, by the way. So you couldn't really store meat unless you did a whole lot of stuff with him. So he's like, I'm going to get even with these guys. It's a true story. I'm not making this up. So he goes and he knocks on the monastery and he says, here, there's all this meat. And they're looking at it. They're like, what are we going to do with all this meat? We can't eat meat. So uh, those monks were pretty resourceful because they weren't going to waste all their meat. I'm from southern Germany. We're known to be very frugal. German people make jokes about the southern Germans, about how frugal we are. Uh, we sometimes take offense to it. Most of the time, we're kind of proud of this fact. So anyways, they were German, southern German monks. Frugal, right? Meat on Lent. What color is meat? Red, right? So their first idea was, we have got to change the color. Maybe God won't know it's meat if we change the color of this meat. Right? But it's pretty powerful color. So what they do? 
They mixed spinach in with the meat. Dark green, really, real leafy type meat, I mean color. So it changed the color of the meat, and so they added spinach to it. They were looking at their concoction there, and they're like, oh, that red is still shining through here. <laughs> no way that God is not going to see that this is meat. So, uh, all right, plan B, let's wrap it into this dough, Right? And he did. They made dough, rolled it out, made little squares, put a little gob of this spinach, hamburger meat mixture, and put another little piece of dough over top of it. And they called it Maultaschen. You, you, you guys with Italian background would probably say, oh, that's a ravioli. Listen, <laughs> don't ever go to Germany, southern Germany, and call Maultaschen raviolis. I'm not sure you're going to survive that statement, okay? Keep that in mind. They're called Maultaschen, right? They're about three to five inches square. Some of them are a little rectangle, and that's what they did. And see what, it, what they were doing? They were trying to change the color, cover it up, so God wouldn't know what they were doing. Does that sound like something to you? That's idolatry, Right? So they were doing all this stuff, and um, I actually, re- I, I, I wanted to see exactly that I got my facts right, because this is all kind of like given to me in all transmission through my grandparents, and I have an aunt who used to work, she's retired now, but she used to work for a very large electronics company in Germany, and some of the executives from that electronics company would come over to the United States on private jets, to have meetings with, uh, uh, you know, whatever, whatever business world, corporate stuff, how that works. And she was the uh, secretary of the uh, head uh, executive, uh, CEO of that company over in Germany. This was a very large company and she was very uh, 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 high up there working for the CEO as his personal secretary. And she would convince this guy to take Maultaschen, vacuum sealed in his private shed... And I know a lot of times he flew like to like Chicago or Minneapolis where he was doing dealings with other electronics companies. And he, he would then mail, this guy, the CEO of this company, would mail those Maultaschen to me, her nephew. So I could have proper Maultaschen on uh, Lenten service. Because see, as you're Protestant, you got to eat those Maultaschens during Lenten service still to this day. And in, 2000 and, um, in 2009... Just a few years ago, October 2009, the European Union recognized Maultaschen as a regional specialty and remarked that the dish as a significant to cultural heritage of Schwaben, that's the region where I'm from, which gives it protection uh, uh, that it is a genuine uh, 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 cultural heritage, and it cannot be. Pro- it can only produced in this area and be called Maultaschen. This is serious stuff. You had no idea this was going on, did you? So there you go. This is a very serious thing. I don't want you to forget about this. But this is, I know this is a kind of a little bit of joking matter, and I intended it to be because idolatry is really a serious thing. But we have been, for the last, this was in 1500, so for the last 500 some years, we have been extremely crafty, just like those monks. Except it is no longer this like thing we can touch, like the cultural heritage of these Maultaschen, 
But it is it has gotten much deeper uh, uh, than this. So there are basically three forms of idolatry that I want to talk about. And we're not going to spend a great time on it. And if you thought that I'm going to be here and I'm going to bring you all these different idolatries, I think you can figure that out on your own. Because what I want to focus on here this morning is really on the solution to idolatry. And that's really where we're going with this. So uh, 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 the main part that I want to talk about, about idolatry, there's basically three basic forms of it. And uh, one of them, the first one, is worship of material things, materialism. Um, this is uh, this is like what exactly what it says. It's uh, it's it's get me. I need a bigger house. I need I need more stuff. And and let me tell you something. What is really amazing to me in in, in especially in the Scranton area is the amount of stuff that we accumulate. Think about this for a minute. Our houses and basements are packed full of stuff, right? Not enough. Because now there is these storage units popping up everywhere. So we fill up our living space and then we go and we rent another place somewhere else and we're going to pack that thing full of stuff too. It's amazing how much stuff we accumulate. Who has moved here in the last three years? Raise your hand, anybody. Isn't that an amazing time when you move? You realize how much stuff you really have. And I'm like, uh, this is unbelievable how much stuff you accumulate. But that's, that's part of it. It's, it. And it's not just that it happens that you have stuff, but it's like this drive that it's never enough. You need more things. We need the newest thing. We need the latest gadget. We're going after these things. That's, that's, that's one portion of uh, hydrology. And then the next one is uh, 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 it's pride and ego. Well, they're different. Uniquely different because pride and ego is uh, is working is working for uh, for 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 a better job. It's it, it's for more money. It's 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 to fuel our own self. It's like the status of our own image is, is never enough. By the way, status. I have a great definition for status. Status is when you buy things you can't afford with money you don't have. To impress people you don't like. Man, you ever been in that? How? Whoa, it's like keeping up with the Joneses in plain English, right? But it's like you can't even do that. And that just fuels our ego. That just really, really drives a wedge in there. And it's never enough. So uh, this, is, um, this is a folly that, we, that, that, is, um, that, means to, that just leads to meaningless life. And then number three... Uh, it idolizes mankind's thought. This is like when we, when the, when the creation gets more important than the creator. You know, this is like out there, and, and, and in today's age, you know, there's a lot of this going on. We really go after that, and, and uh, uh, because we, you know, great thinking and great thoughts and all these different aspects enter our lives, and this is, becomes like the main focus of us. So what can we sum all these, these areas up with? It basically comes down to worship of self. Alcohol, drugs, food. Food could fall into this whole thing, this worship of self, right? I mean, here I'm talking about maultashin, right? I mean, this is unbelievable. Jesse's been talking about slaying animals and eating them. 
But food has definitely, there's food shows everywhere, right? I mean, we, we, alcohol and drugs are pretty easily identified. There's all the other things. And that's actually kind of where we're getting to is because idolatry is not always easily recognized. Uh, but anyways, in Genesis 3, 5, maybe, maybe we want to call this the beginning of idolatry. This is, uh, this is as, uh, as the snake is talking to Eve and he's telling Eve, what? Do you remember? I think Jesse was talking about that a couple of weeks ago. You will be like God. Maybe we want to say that that was the starting point of, uh, of idolatry. It's when, uh, when Eve was confronted by the enemy and all of a sudden we wanted to become like God. And I think idolatry leads to this all the time. First John 2.16 says, The core of idolatry is a lust of flesh, a lust of the eyes, and a pride of life. So these, these areas that I was talking about, that's kind of where we, that's where we lead to. That's idolatry. Idolatry, there's many definitions. Actually, Martin Luther gave a very lengthy definition. But the bottom line is, is when sin enters our lives and we replace it with anything other than who Jesus is, that's idolatry. It's entering our life as a, as a substitute to who the Lord is. That's idolatry. This could be anything. And it's obviously no longer a, a, a real thing because there are so many settled ways that we as humans have gone into that we don't even sometimes recognize what it is. And we have to step back and see what it is. So that's idolatry, right? So now let's shift gears. How do we get out of it? And, uh, and, 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 and how do we apply this every day? You know, something unique happened here today. And obviously, this wouldn't, you wouldn't know this because you, you didn't know my message. You didn't know anything. But Mike, this morning, when he started uh, the sermon, he spoke about it. And then, as Ben was closing out with the last song, he spoke of it too. Because there's a way we respond to things. There's a way we address things, and that's really how we're going to deal with idolatry because it's, so, it's, it's everywhere uh, uh, in our lives. It's embedded in all these different things. Don't think that I'm standing up here and I don't deal with idolatry. I deal with it just like everybody else. I just don't want to call it idolatry. I want to call it anything else but idolatry. I want to make mouthwashing out of it. I want to change the color of it, and I want to change the whole look of it. Because I don't want to be that person that says, no, this is wrong, and I need to do something out with my life. But here it is. And um, I don't know, uh, Kendra, if you, I didn't, my bad, I didn't say that to her beforehand. But can you put up there Jonah, uh, chapter 2, uh, starting verse 7. I'll give you a minute. Um, hopefully I, uh, uh, you can find that. But that's really where the answer comes from. Here it is. That's, so let's read this together. We're going to read from 7 to 10. And again, I'm messing this up. Do you see this? But I don't really care. I knew I was messing it up, so this is on purpose. Because you always read the scripture first, right? Isn't that how you normally do it? You read it first, and then you bring the message. I've already talked. I'm about halfway into my message, and now I'm bringing you the scripture. See, I love it. This is a little rebel in me. If you ever need anybody to have, yeah. We ever need to do a demonstration or anything? I'm your guy. I love that. I love rousing things up and just making people think about things. So anyways, here it is. Jonah Jonah 2.7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to me into your holy temple. Let's go to 8. Those who pray regard to vain idols, idolatry, Forsake their hope of steadfast love. Look at this. 
Hang on, go back one more. Sorry. Those who, no, yeah, those who pay regard to vain idols. Look what happens here. When we make idolatry the center part of our lives, what happens? We forsake our hope of steadfast love. We forsake it. This is like if you go after idols, you forsake the steadfast love. This is what he's talking about here. So when idolatry enters, we forsake our hope. It's no longer the hope of glory. The hope is gone away. When idolatry becomes part of our lives, hope disappears. Let's go to the next one. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And now listen, listen. The next verse is key in how we respond to idolatry. Put it up there, Kendra. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Unbelievable. When I read this, I was like, hello. And this is exactly what Mike and Ben were talking about. They had no idea I was talking about this. How does he respond? How does he deal with this? He Listen, when he's saying these things, he's in the belly of the fish. There is, if you would read this, and I encourage you to read Jonah. It's a really great book. Short. Very short for all the people who don't like reading, but this is a very powerful book. Here's the kicker. He's in the belly of the whale. He has like seaweed wrapped around his head and his, his, uh, his neck, and he's literally down in there. How does he respond? He's not responding in a way of like, I'm going to die. I'm going to, re- this is it. I was so stupid. See, Jonah was told by God himself to go to a certain town to present the gospel to them. What does he do? He makes mautashin. Right? He goes the other way. Literally. He does, and the land is, I mean, the town is actually over here on land, and he gets on the water in a ship and sails away, like literally exactly the opposite direction from that town where God told him to go. They figure it out on their boat and that this dude is not really right with God, and they, th- and, and they throw him overboard in a, a great fish. We call it a whale. It was really a great fish. We don't know if it was a whale. Most likely it was a whale. I don't know. I lived in Florida for 17 years. There's huge uh, uh, grouper. They call them Jewfish. And I mean, they're huge. I can totally see how one of them could be swallowed up a human. So whatever. But the thing is, so he gets swallowed up by this fish. He's in the belly. And this is his response. He comes out with this joy, with this, this, this forward-thinking motion where he will no longer let idolatry be part of his life. And it is at that moment, it's at that moment that God moves and spits him out on dry land. Doesn't even spit him out in the middle of the ocean. No, spits him out onto dry land. And I think this is exactly what we need to take away from this here today. We need to take away that when we're down and out, just like Ben and Mike were saying earlier, when we're down and out, our response needs to be that out of joy in the midst of being in the belly of a whale. Can you imagine what that's like being down in there? Regis Digest about 20 years ago had a story of a guy that was, sw- was a whale fisherman that got swallowed. He fell in. The water. This, is, this happened like 20 years ago, maybe, maybe 25 years ago. This guy was literally swallowed up by a whale. Really happened. And he lived because that, uh, 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 they caught that fish again three days later. And when they, you know, they kind of processed them on the boats, I know it's kind of gross, but when they cut him open, guess what? The guy was still alive inside the belly of that whale. 
He had no more pigments left in his uh, skin. Uh, the digestive fluids had already done the work on it, but he survived. So, so we know what it's like because that guy could tell us. And everybody, all Christian, went like, oh, that's what Jonah must have felt like. <laughs> yeah, probably. But he, got, he celebrated. He, 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 he responded in, in a joyful worship of the Lord, and the Lord spit him onto dry land. There's our problem with idolatry. We don't deal with it in the right way. We deal with it in this glooming, doom attitude. Our response needs to come much different. We need to shift our focus. Why do you think we're changing home groups? Because we want to change, the sh- we want to change our focus. Our focus can no longer be inwardly. Our focus needs to be outwardly. And that's the same with idolatry. You can't focus on idolatry and sit there and think about it and think about it and think about it. No, you need to respond in a joyful manner. Because God sees you where you can be rather than where you are. And when he moves, when we can, I can give you more examples. This just happened to be because it had the word idolatry in it that I used it. We, I can give you example after example where, where believers in Scripture were responding with joy and the God moved right then and there. In the midst of their, their distress, in their, in their pain and their suffering, they responded with joy. They responded with worship. They responded with an outward shift of what was going on. Contrary to the circumstances, they did not let circumstances dictate where they are, but they responded with joy and God moved right then and there. And I think that is exactly what is the difference for anything that can make an impact on Scranton or on you or on, on us as, as a group of people is when we move forward and we respond in joy. And, and that's, from, that's from Jonah. So what's the crux of the matter? What is really at the heart here? And the crux of the matter is, what does this mean to you? What does this mean to me? See, when, when I'm up here, I got a mirror in front of me because I'm not only talking to you, I'm talking to me. I love wallowing in my own pity. I'm just being honest. Love it. You know, anything goes wrong, I'm like, oh, why is this happening to me? I'm such a poor guy. I'm just so punished about all this. I'm just, this is really bad, right? I love that. I love responding like because it makes me feel good. It's like soothing, right? But it really isn't because it is not because it takes our hope away, it says in Jonah, right? It takes our hope away. It eliminates the hope that there's ever a better tomorrow. It takes it all away. And even if there isn't, it's still for the Lord. So what does it mean? A lot of times when, when this happens, happens to me, Jesse will give a great sermon, I hear something great on the radio, and how do I respond? I respond by saying, man, that was a challenging word. And then I walk out the door, and that was it. This is a great book. It's a great book. It's collecting dust on the shelf now. I didn't, it didn't do anything. It didn't make an impact. It didn't, it didn't require me to respond. You know, actually... The most respond I'm usually getting, or that I get to myself, is like, amen to that, brother. You know, convicting sermon. But it is not, it is not a changing and deep down shift in my own self. So it's a great saying that I found. And this saying really kind of impacted me over the last week because it goes, how we live our days is how we live our lives. Wow. Let me say that again. How we live our days is how we live our lives. Do you believe today is October 1st? A whole year. Three quarters of a year has gone by. How we live our days is how we live our lives. 
We live on a farm. My daughter Maddie is sitting right here. She's probably going to shake her head really uh, heavily in agreement with this. We have horses, right? How many times do they poop in a day, Maddie? About 10 times. We have four horses. Each of them, on average, poop 10 times, right? You do the math, 40 piles a day. Some are bigger, some are smaller. All right, times seven, that's 280 piles a week. She's picked up a whole bunch of them in her life already because that's what we do. We pick them up. So Christians are like manure. Bear with me here. Bear with me. I'm, you know, farming, this is kind of like how we approach things, right? Manure management is a big part of farming. So if you take horse manure and you take a little bit of it and you put it on your vegetables... Oh, they turn beautiful. Kenny, right? Selena, you, you've been eating some of our spaghetti squash, some of other people have. I mean, it's delicious stuff, right? It's horse manure that powers those things. Our tomatoes this year are magnificent. We had so many cucumbers, we didn't even know what to do with them. All the jars are full of pickles. I want to be eating pickles all winter long. I love it so. Don't worry, Kenny. We, I got your number. I know. He wants the uh, uh, pickles in the worst way. So uh, anyways, but then, so that's manure, right? Manure, spread around nice and thinly. It helps, fertilizes, great stuff. But you know what? If you leave the manure all in one big pile, it just stinks. (laughs) This is how we Christians are. Sorry to say, if we're all in one big pile, we just stink. But if we go out and we fertilize and we go into the world, into the city, all of a sudden we turn into this really great fertilizer. That's my challenge. You want to know how to get out of your idolatry? Engage. And not just stay in the pile where we just stink and attract flies. We got to get out there. What are we doing in home group? We're going out. We're going into the community because we recognize that that's what we need to do. We can't stay in here and just stink. We got to get out into the world and really kind of like spread the, the, the fertilizer around. So what does that mean to you? What does it mean for us? Does that mean, you know, that we have to quit our job and do something else? Does it mean we have to sell our house and do something different? Maybe. Or maybe not. Maybe it just means that we need to engage with the people that we come in contact with every day. We may not even have to change where we live, but we may have to change in how we approach things. We may have to change in what we do. In order to get out of ourselves and get over our idolatry with our self-worship and us being equal to God, maybe this is all it takes, is that shift for us to be a fertilizer to the rest of the community and just really engage in that matter. Because worship to self is really the worst kind, the idolatry part of it. It is, it is the self-destructive ways that come with this. And, uh, and unfortunately, the, the, the part that comes with this, the part that really fuels this, and the part that really is the scariest about all of this, because there is this uncertainty of what happens. Driving over here this morning, talking with Maddie, I am just totally blown away. 15-year-old girl looks at the world a whole different way than I do. 
It was actually refreshing. We were talking about how the trees function, the leaves are coming up, and they're changing the color. And you know what? We were talking about, we're driving by Jessup, the new power plant going in, and uh, Maddie is like determining, you know, wh- why do we need a power plant? Why can't we just store energy somewhere? Now to us, as adults, it's like, you know, well, that was, you know, we can't because it can't be done. But do you see how that shifts when you look at it from a different angle? Because as a 15, you say, why can't we? We're responding over here because we have all these predetermined ideas, past failures, experiences, and we're like, it can't be done. To someone else, it may look like, why can't it be done? Let's do it. That's the response that, that, that we need to come to. Uh, what is it? Isaiah says, old men will dream dreams and young men will have visions. We need to refocus ourselves. And I don't care if you, if you think you're young. Maybe you're not as young as you think you are. Because you need to refocus it. We need to realize that, hey, maybe it is possible. Perhaps. Maybe. Those are some really uh, 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 famous words that I really love because that was the response that, like, Jonathan gave. Perhaps, maybe, we can do something. Perhaps, maybe, by us moving home groups around, this is going to be a great thing for, for what we come in contact with. Maybe it's not even for the people we do come in contact with. Maybe it's for you. For me. But it's a shift in how we approach things. Idolatry can only be broken if, um, if we do make a shift. And uh, uh, if the worship team wants to come forward. I really want us to walk out of here today realizing that, that our lives are lived by how we shape our day. The days that we live in shape our lives. Every day counts Every day, if they make a difference, it adds up. And idolatry can only be beat if we're going outside of ourselves. The, the, the biggest, the, you know, the, like I said, the biggest obstacle in all of this is always, am I enough? Can I really do this? Can I make something happen? There's a Bible study that I did, I did a, a few years back. I've actually done it a couple of times. It's called Experiencing God. I love that Bible study because I love it because it gives us seven steps on how to really uh, uh, hone into what God is doing. I'm not going to bore you by going through all of them, but I'm going to go through a couple of them in, in just a headline here. And the one is, uh, first of all, that God is always at work around us. Believe it or not, God is at work right now. It's not like God is over there taking a nap. God is at work right here in Scranton, in this church, in your life. God is doing something in your life right now. Whether you acknowledge that or not, but God is doing something in your life. The fact that you're here, God is doing something. God has, has had you come through these doors this morning. So God is doing something, and guess what? He invites you to become part of his plan. He wants you. He wants me. He wants you to be part of this plan. Because God could accomplish anything he wanted without us, but he chooses to do it through us. Idolatry can be broken when we realize that we're on the team. Our teammate is God. So the next thing then is, God speaks through the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, prayer and circumstances to us to reveal himself and his purposes and his ways. That's what he does. I encourage you to pray about what you want to do. And I encourage you to read the word of God because he will speak to you. He will show you what the plan is for your life, for my life, for this church's life. And then 
He invites us to join Him. But that moment when He invites us, it will lead to a crisis of belief. Listen, anything that you're going to do that's going to be different from what you've been doing every day for your life to get you here in Celebrate Recovery, we call this insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, right? There's going to be a crisis of belief. There's going to be something that you're going to say, oh, what's happening here? That requires faith and action. You got to do something. You got to take a little step. You got to do something. But... The major adjustments that you make will join God of what He's doing. I love that part. I love that because when we're joining with Him, that's when things become different. No longer will the mountain be necessary in your life. You no longer have to dress up all of this because you can't do it anyways. You are not, you are not able to cover up the sin in your life. You are not able to cover up the idolatry in your life. Jesus did that for us. Jesus did this when he died on the cross. He made that all possible so that when we come to that point that we can actually engage with him, it's going to become his leadership and no longer our leadership. We die to self and we we, uh, resurrect in him. And that's really the beauty of the gospel message. And when we can bring this to other people, we're really engaged with God's uh, uh, message and God's plan. That was his last commandment that he gave us. Go make disciples. Go out into the world. Love your neighbor like you and love me like you love yourselves. And go out there and make it make a difference in the world and bring the gospel to the world. That's our mandate. How that looks like for you, you're gonna find that out by prayer and really pressing into the Lord. So I really encourage you today to, to, to kind of seek the Lord in what He has in store for every one of you. And engage in that and do it with joy. The response to everything is always with joy and with confidence that God can do the thing that, that He only can do in spite of all the, all the circumstances. Let's not be the stinky pile of manure. Let's be the fertilizer to the, to the world. So if you would stand with me and we'll, we'll worship on the end here. And really, really, I really pray that we can press into the Lord here this morning and what He's uh, doing, that we can join Him in what He's already doing. Let's worship.